please remain standing as you are able for the reading of God's word. The text for this morning is Psalm 100. I will be reading in German. The English will be on the screen. Jubelt dem Herrn zu, ihr Völker der Erde. Dient ihm voll Freude. Kommt zu ihm mit fröhlichen Liedern. Erkennt, dass der Herr allein Gott ist. Er hat uns geschaffen. Wir gehören ihm. Wir sind sein Volk, das er umsorgt wie ein Hirte seine Herde. Geht durch die Tempeltore ein mit Dank. Betretet die Vorhöfe mit Lobgesang. Preist ihn und rühmt seinen Namen. Denn der Herr ist gut zu uns. Seine Gnade hört niemals auf. Für alle Zeiten hält er uns die Treue. This is God's word. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Trinity City Church. My name is Josiah. I'm one of the pastors here. As you can see, Children's Church is dismissed. Ages kindergarten through second grade. Um, I'm very excited to be here this morning. If you are a regular here at Trinity, you know that I'm normally over here doing music. And every summer at Trinity, we do a summer psalm series. So we preach through about 10 psalms, takes 10 weeks. And this year, I'm preaching the introductory sermon to that study. So we'll be in Psalm 81 to 90 this summer, and this, psalm is, or this sermon is kind of setting up that series for us this year. Um, we're going to answer two main questions this morning, and we're going to look at Psalm 100 to do that. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bible to Psalm 100, feel free to do that. The first question we're going to answer is really, what is the nature of Christian worship? And the second question is, why do Christians worship through singing? So if you're a note taker, there's just two points. Um, I can't guarantee you that means we're going to be out of here any quicker. But two, two main questions we're going to look at this morning. When I was a kid, I was actually homeschooled my whole life until graduating high school and going off to, to college. And when my parents were starting their family, they were looking for a guiding philosophy of education. And my mom found Second Peter. Uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and it says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So that was like my parents' whole educational philosophy in one verse. So for them, the primary goal of our education was to teach us the faith, to teach us about God and the gospel, and to live a gospel-shaped life. After that was virtue or character. Uh, my mom used to say this all the time. She would say, knowledge may open a door for you, but your character is what will keep you in the room. My mom's a very proverbial woman. Uh, so first faith, then virtue, and then knowledge. So somewhere my mom read that if you read five Psalms and one chapter of Proverbs, you can get through both books in a month. So every day when we would start school, we would read five psalms, except for Psalm 119. That got its own, its own day. That's a really long one. Uh, we would read five psalms and a chapter of the Proverbs. So over the course of my life, 
you can imagine, I don't know, I probably started reading, I don't know, six, six, seven, eight, something like that, until I graduated high school. So I have read through the Psalms and Proverbs like, I don't know, dozens of times, many, many, many times. And one of the things that kind of was true in my life that I found as I got older, that whenever I came to a circumstance in my life or an emotion that I was feeling or something that was going on, it was like the Psalms were already, already there ahead of me. Have you ever had that experience? I remember um, in times in my life really struggling with sin and shame from, from sinning and feeling like I couldn't change myself, I couldn't fix myself. Psalm 32 was one that I remember just praying over and over again. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Man, when you're feeling oppressed and, and burdened down with shame and guilt, Psalm 32 is a great one to read. When I've struggled with depression or anxiety, Psalm 42 has redirected my vision and reminded me of the purpose of my life, and it's given me hope. Here's verse 11 from Psalm 42. Why, so, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. When I've woken up in the middle of the night with a, a terrible nightmare in a cold sweat, the words of Psalm 23 have, have been comforting and hopeful. You know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the Psalms in many ways have been my, my companion through my life, especially my spiritual life, giving language to the emotions I feel and the circumstances I have encountered, while also bringing God's truth to bear on those circumstances. Now, throughout the history of the church, even going back to the days of the Old, Test, uh, Old Testament, the Psalms have played a pivotal role in the life of God's people. Now, many of you here this morning have probably experienced the Psalms very similar to the way I described. It's guided your prayer times and your private devotions, uh, private devotions toward the Lord. And this is certainly a fine way to use the Psalms like a prayer book. We have plenty of evidence from the Scriptures and from church history where God's people use the Psalms to pray. They use them as the words and language of their prayers. But for the most part, the Psalms, or the Psalter, the collection of all the Psalms together, it's sometimes referred to as the Psalter, uh, it has been known in church history as the hymn book of God's people. Now, why is that so significant? I think there's probably a lot of reasons for this, but two come to mind. 
So much of my personal experience with the Psalms was just that. It was personal. It was just me in my room alone reading the Psalms or praying them, which is fine. It's, it's a great use. But historically, the Psalms were the songs that God's people sang when they gathered for corporate worship. And I think that's important for us to realize, first of all, because there's a corporate aspect to the Psalter, right? You'll see all this we language in the Psalms. Who's the we? It's us. And in our culture today, we live in a very selfish, self-focused, self-centered culture. So it's really good for us to remember that the Psalms belong to all of God's people, not just to us individually. They do belong to us individually as a member of God's people. Does that make sense? The second main reason I think it's really important for us to, to think about the Psalms as hymns is that, well, what do you do with a hymn? You just recite it? You sing. You sing a hymn. And throughout church history, singing the hymns was normal. That's what most Christians did. God's people have been doing that since at least the time of King David. So this morning, as I mentioned, we're going to answer those two questions. So what is the nature of Christian worship? And we'll mostly look to Psalm 100 to explore that question. And then also, why singing? Why, is, why does God make a big point about this in the Psalms? And why have Christians understood that in order to praise God through singing, they usually would use the Psalms to do that? That's the, the two things we're going to look at this morning. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Please join me. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we might perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Open our eyes and our ears to hear your word and be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. All right, so now we're going to look at Psalm 100. There's two things I want you to think about as we're approaching the Psalms, and this applies to any Psalm you look at. Just two points here. First, the Psalms are lyrics. The Psalms are lyrics. So when you're reading the Psalm, you should have kind of a, um, a songwriter's mindset, right? The, the Psalms employ all of this poetic language. You're going to use metaphor and simile to help you understand a deeper spiritual truth. So your antenna should be up when you're reading the Psalms looking for this poetic language and what is it trying to communicate, okay? The second thing you should keep in mind whenever you're reading a Psalm is that the Psalmist is making an argument. They're trying to communicate something about who God is, about who we are, about what our response to who God is should be right? There's a, there's a logic, there's a thought, there's an argument that's going to flow through the psalm. And this is, you know, the old school word for this in church history would be catechesis, instruction. The psalms are trying to instruct us. They're trying to shape us in very specific ways. So again, psalms are lyrics. So you should read them like, a, like poetry, like a song. And they're also making an argument. There's instruction, there's teaching in the psalm that we're supposed to be picking up on. All right, I'm going to read Psalm 100, and I'm going to emphasize here, for our sake, the language that refers to God and the language that refers to us, God's people, okay? 
So emphasis added, that's coming from me, all right? Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name, for the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now, as you're reading through this, it becomes apparent pretty quickly that the psalmist is trying to say something about who God is. And not just about who He is, but who we are as His people. This psalm is stressing the universal kingship of God. God created all things, and He rules over all things as Lord. So, He didn't just make everything that is all the earth, right? He didn't just make all the earth and step away. He actually rules over it as King, as Lord. The command to worship the Lord with gladness, to come before Him with joyful song, makes sense because He's the reigning King. There's no part of creation that doesn't belong to Him. The territory of His realm extends to all created things. So that's who God is. He's the ruling Lord. Who are we, and what is the nature of the relationship between God and us? Verse 3 says, it is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Now, this is a really pow- powerful metaphor for ancient people because they live very close to sheep. Um, I was at a uh, Scandinavian festival yesterday with my family, and there was, they had a mama sheep there and two little baby sheep. So I was thinking about this as I was watching these sheep interact. It's really interesting to use this metaphor of sheep and shepherd. On its face, it has some really big implications. Have you ever seen a sheep or a group of sheep, like, elect a shepherd? Like, they get together and they put forward candidates and they elect them. No, sheep don't choose shepherds. Shepherds choose sheep, right? The shepherd doesn't belong to the sheep. The sheep belong to the shepherd. The the idea of possession, of belonging, is very clear in this relationship, right? God owns us in a very deep way. We belong to Him, and that's inherent in this metaphor, right? God isn't just an architect who designed the world and walked away and let somebody else build it. He's not just a carpenter who builds the world and then lets somebody else live in it. He's a shepherd, so he dwells with the sheep. He sustains creation with his power. He nourishes his people with the sacraments, baptism and communion, and he guides us with his word. He protects the church from false teachers who would snatch away his precious ones, and he defends the church from false teaching that would infect us and make us sick, just like a shepherd, right? Shepherd leads the, sh- the sheep. They don't know where to go unless he guides them. They're vulnerable to attack from thieves or predators unless the shepherd intervenes and protects them. That's all built into this metaphor of shepherd and sheep. You guys tracking with me? Does that make sense? He's intimately involved in the care of his creation and his people. And, and how are we supposed to respond according to the psalmist? So God who created all things is Lord. He reigns over all the earth. He's called us to be His sheep. He's protecting us and providing for us. 
What's our response to Him and to what He has done? Verse 4 and 5 says, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So Christians worship the Lord with gratitude and thankfulness, bringing praise. Remember verse 1? Shouts for joy. Can you imagine if we started our service off with a shout? <laughs> it would probably rattle us a little bit, but it's commanded in Psalm 100 to shout for joy because of who God is, because of what He has done. Our proper response to what God has done is worship. Worship means to ascribe worth to, to show the value of something. So when we gather here on a Sunday, we take time out of our week, the very first part of our week, to gather in corporate worship because He's worthy. Because of all that He has done, we come here with gratitude. One of the most consistent themes of the Psalms is to praise God, to worship Him through singing. So now let's, let's consider that question. Why this emphasis on singing? Why are we supposed to focus on that and to practice that? So God's people, as I mentioned earlier, have understood that the Psalms, the Psalter, is the hymn book of God's people. And they took this command to sing praises to God to mean that they were supposed to sing the Psalms. Throughout church history, it's very consistent. Psalm singing was a part of the worship of God's people. We know that King David wrote Psalms. We know that he, he assigned certain Psalms to be sung at certain celebrations. We know that this tradition of psalm singing survived the exile of God's people into Babylon. If you ever read Psalm 137, it says, by the waters of Babylon we wept. So even when God's people were taken into exile to Babylon, they, they were continually singing psalms in worship. We know that that continued even through the time of Jesus. We have a lot of kind of evidence of this in the Scriptures and from church history that psalm singing was being practiced extensively in the life of Jesus in Jewish worship. Um, the early Christian church continued that tradition. So when Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to the church in Colossae, he assumes that they're singing and that they're singing psalms. This is Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, the emphasis on thankfulness and gratitude in our worship. So, why this emphasis, though? So, we know that they did it. We know that Christians and God's people, going back to the time of King David, sang, but why? Well, there's probably a, a bunch of reasons for that. One, one reason is this. So, consider ancient Israel. Uh, no one had a printed copy of the Bible in their home. The Bible was written on vellum scrolls. It was immensely expensive to produce a copy of the Scriptures. So, if you're in a, in a culture where people don't have access to the Word of God to read it for themselves, how do you get God's Word into them? How do you teach them? Well, one of the things you can do is you can read it out loud, and repetition here is really important, but you can also sing it. Singing it helps, helps it get into your mind, right? We call it an earworm in English, right? Like it just gets in there and then you're singing it over and over again, right? 
We know that the ancient Jews used a lectionary. Ever heard that word, lectionary? Lectionary is just a collection of scriptures, different passages grouped together, usually around a theme, and it's intended to be read when God's people gather. We actually use a lectionary here at Trinity for our call to worship. So, Mike's call to worship, he pulled that scripture from a group of scriptures. Um, we use the revised common lectionary. So, we still use them today, and some Christian denominations use them for the whole service. What's read, what's the, the sermon text is all determined by the lectionary. So, as I mentioned, repetition is really important. So, you would go to worship, you would go to Sabbath, and there would be a group of psalms that would be sung every single time you gathered. And then depending on the time of year, you would sing different ones. For us, it's kind of like we sing Easter hymns at Easter, right? Every year as you're coming to, to church to worship, you're going to hear the Easter hymns. Or during Advent and Christmas, we sing the Advent hymns and the Christmas hymns, right? So, year after year after year, week after week, God's people would be singing the same songs. They were they were canted is the technical word. So, there would be a cantor, a song leader would pick a melody, and then they would verbatim quote the psalm in the melody together corporately. So, it might not rhyme, it doesn't matter. You pick the melody and you cant the psalms together corporately as the people of God. As I mentioned, singing helps us remember illustrate this, we're going to play a little game. I, I used to be a teacher, so I can't help, right? I'm going to start a song, and then you all are going to finish it, okay? Simple enough. Give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that. Yeah, yeah. Ba-ba-bum-bum-bum. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can't deny it. We all know you eat at McDonald's now, don't we? Like a good neighbor... We are farmers. <laughs> right? Here's, a, here's another. Let's see if you can do this all on your own. Can you sing the, the song for Liberty Mutual? It's got to be the worst one, right? Like it's, let's just take the name of our company and sing it over and over and over again. Right? So, like, did you go to class to learn those songs? Right? Like, somebody taught you, right? They actually did. You have been catechized to know those companies and their brands and what they're about from those jingles, right? So that's the same thing, the same idea that's behind God's people singing the Psalms over and over and over again. To do that little game wasn't my idea. I can't take credit for that. Here's some songs at Trinity that you may know. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Do you know that one? Not if you know that one. That's almost verbatim from Psalm 51. If you don't build it, we labor in vain. Pour out your spirit, we'll pour out your praise. Do you know that one? That's Psalm uh, 127. Out of the depths I cry to you. You know that one? That's Psalm 130. So we do this here at Trinity. We actually sing some of our songs are transliterated or, or heavily based on the Psalms. And one of the advantages of that is it helps us remember them. 
Singing the Psalms gets God's Word into our bones, to the deep recesses of our soul, so that when occasion arises, His Word is already there, speaking to us. The psalmist says that he has hidden God's Word in his heart. It's like tucked away. It's deep, deep in his heart that he might not sin against God. What he means is that God's Word is in him. It, it's it, he's memorized it. It's just there whenever he needs it. We see a practical example of how the psalm singing tradition led to memorization in the life of Jesus. At the Last Supper, several of the gospel writers tell us that Jesus and His disciples sang hymns as they met for the Last Supper and as they walked to Gethsemane. And that was, that was normal. That was normal practice at the Passover meal in Jewish tradition to sing psalms. Do you know, because they used a lectionary, we actually know what psalms they would have sung? This just gave me chills when I was learning this. They would have sung Psalm 113 to 118. Here's a couple of snippets from those psalms. It's from Psalm uh, 116. Again, picture this with your imagination. Jesus and the disciples are walking to Gethsemane. I love the Lord, for He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because He turned His ear to me, I will call on Him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. It's another passage from Psalm 118. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. It's been suggested that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, that He was probably canting the Psalms to Himself. The reason they say this is because he references Psalm 22, and later he references Psalm 31. So the idea is that as Christ is hanging on the cross, and he doesn't know what to say, he goes to the Psalms. If you want to, like, if you want to cry this week, have had a good cry, just open up the Psalms, read the first few verses of Psalm 1 to 22. There's a lot in there about a good man being, being hounded unjustly so powerful. We don't know 100% if that's the case, but if it's true, then when Jesus hung on the cross, when He faced the agony of death, when He faced the valley of the shadow of death, the Psalms is what came to Him. That's what He prayed. That's what He sang when He hung there. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? That's the opening line to Psalm 22. Do you know how Psalm 22 ends? All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and He rules over all the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, He has done it. Brothers and sisters, this morning we are gathering in fulfillment of what Christ prophesied in Psalm 22. We're the nations. 
right? We're the nations who have heard the gospel about what God has done. We are the people yet unborn, and it has been proclaimed to us that God has done it. Christ has shed His own blood to save us from our sins. The Psalms talk all the time about the covenant that God made with His people, that they would follow and obey Him and He would be their God, but they broke the covenant. We have too. We've broken the covenant with God. We didn't keep up our end of the bargain. But Jesus reconciled us to God, making peace through the blood that He shed on the cross. This is the good news. This is the gospel that all the Psalms and the entire Old Testament were pointing to, that Jesus, the Son of God, the good shepherd, would lay down His life for His sheep, the sheep of His pasture. We worship this morning and every morning in response to what God has done in Christ. We sing songs and psalms that the gospel might sink into us. It might get down into our gut, into the marrow of our bones. We meditate on God's Word. We sing it that we can memorize it. We memorize it so that we can meditate on it. When you, when you memorize something, you own it but it also owns you, right? And that's part of what's going on here in this tradition of psalm singing. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you don't belong to God, uh, you couldn't say in all honesty that you're one of God's sheep. Um, the invitation to you this morning is that if you want to follow Christ, you can do that right now. You can believe that Jesus' death on the cross actually brought you and God back together that that was his greatest act as the good shepherd, laying down his life for you. If you have questions about that and you want to talk more, there's ushers in the back can direct you to people. We'd love to have a conversation with you about that this morning. If you are here this morning and you do belong to God's people, uh, my encouragement to you is start memorizing the Psalms, right? Start memorizing them so that you can meditate on them. Uh, I recommend Psalm 1. Start very big, the beginning is a good place to start, right? Uh, Psalm 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 23, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. After that, uh, I really like Psalm 67. It's great. It's, it's, there's a beautiful blessing in it, and it's great if you're ever at a wedding and you don't know what to say. You can just quote Psalm 67. It's, it's really powerful. I may or may not have done that before. Um, Another encouragement I have to you is that there are, there are so many Christian artists and churches that are setting the psalms to tune so that God's people can sing them again. We're living in kind of a, a, I think, a modern kind of golden era for this. So there's actually a playlist of songs that we've put together that are all based on the psalms. You can access that in our church center membership group, and I'm going to see if I can get it up on our website this afternoon so that you can just be listening, and hopefully, hopefully it'll help you memorize some of these psalms.